Welcome back to the Axiom Youth Podcast. This lesson is entitled, God Does Not Have Enemies. It's being taught by our youth pastor, Brother Jared Turner. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. church very long I'm sure you've heard it before that there's power in the name of Jesus but it's still true whether it's cliche or not whether it's something you hear all the time or not it's still true there's still power in the name of Jesus there's power in names if you have the right signature you have the right name behind your first name it can open up a lot of doors it can open up a lot of opportunity right you want a permit you get a permission slip you got to have a name on there of your guardian that kind of releases the door for you to go do whatever it is that you're signing up to do it's there's power in that so we kind of understand that inherently but the name of Jesus is the name above all names and so you need that name on your life in order to open up doors of opportunity that you would not have any other way doors not just of opportunity on earth but opportunity in heavenly places opportunity eternally that's why there's power in the name of Jesus That's why we can say that there's no other name because it's powerful and it's important that we know that there's power in the name of Jesus. Thank you for standing and worshiping with us. You can be seated. How many have been doing their word before world? Oh, I see some embarrassed looks. Anybody? Anybody read? Did anyone read any of Samuel? First Samuel. One. First Samuel one. Anybody get to first Samuel two? Besides Sammy Joe. Anybody else? All right. So we're we're trapped in first Samuel one. We gotta we gotta reboot here on our word before world because it's looking like it's world before word. So we don't want to rename it that. Uh, done. 31. There's 31 chapters. You're supposed to be done. We started it on the 2nd of March, I think. Caleb is reading. I know Caleb is reading Romans. Yes. But so anyway, so you may not be as familiar with the t- with the subject matter tonight, but I have but I have been doing my word before world. Uh, I've been reading the book of First Samuel. I thought I was reading it along with you guys, but apparently, I was just reading it on my own <laughs> just for fun. But it's been it's been a really good book. But here's I wanted to, I wanted to bring a topic to you tonight, and I want you to think about it with me. I want I want you to think about it because the the Bible 
has stories in it that we can use as our example, that are a teaching point to us. They, they help us learn different things about life. It is an eternal book, and so it, it, it's true throughout every decade and every century and every age of life. It's, it holds true. Its principles hold true. And so I was thinking about, how many have ever heard of a man by the name of Saul? If, you, if you'd read 1 Samuel, you would know that there was a man named Saul that was chosen to be the first king of Israel. And I often have, when I was reading this, it's, and Sister Nikki made the comment to me that it is a very tragic story, the story of Saul, because he because he's chosen by God to be the king and then he has this great falling away or this, this great, really just tragedy in his life. And so I've been thinking, why was he such a failure? Why was King Saul such a failure? Why was he such a failure? And then he, after he fails God and he's told by the man of God that he's not going to be the king anymore and that, there, that God's going to anoint a new king. He kind of gets the picture that, his, that the new king's going to be his son-in-law, David. He kind of starts to feel that and see that on the writing on the wall. And so he then he hates David and he tries to murder him several times. And throughout him trying to murder David, there are these points in his life where he comes to realize what he's doing is in error, it's wrong, and he repents. But then he goes right back to trying to murder David. He never really changes. So he keeps kind of coming to this place and seeing himself for who he really is and repenting and feeling sorrowful. But then he, the Bible says he just goes back to his house. And then the very next chapter, we see the same thing over and over again. So it's this kind of back and forth where he sees himself as for who he really is. And then he shrinks back and does the very thing that he had just said he was not going to do. And through all of this, we have David who's the future king of Israel, who is so oppressed by this man. He actually, he was living in the palace as the king's son-in-law. He was the king's top general before Saul began to get jealous of him. And then all of a sudden, David is homeless, living in caves, trying to save his own life. So he is very, very mistreated. So you have a man that God has called and that God has anointed. And then you have another man that God has called and that God has anointed. And God is working on these two lives together. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is how these two lives work together. How that each person that in this story, David and Saul, their lives working together Create the perfect will of God. Because, and here's my title tonight, God does not have enemies. 
God does not have enemies. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, you might say, well, Brother Jared, sometimes the Bible says that they were the enemies of God. And I think I know it does say that, but I'm going to talk to you on like a philosophical level here. I need your mind to be engaged because when we say things like that, it is to help us understand something that is hard to grasp. And that is the concept of God. So when like when we say that they sit on God's right hand, it does not mean that God has hands because God is a spirit, but it is a symbol of that. You're on the side of power because the king's right hand would be a symbol of power. And you'd want the king to extend his right hand to you because it was a symbol of power. So that's why they use that language. So when you say God has an enemy or they're the enemy of God, it just kind of means they are against the will of God. But when you come up against the will of God, who do you think is going to win? You or God's will? Your will or God's will, which do you think is going to win? If you came up against God. Now, let me, let me put it to you in a little more where maybe you could understand. I, I can play basketball. I have the, uh, I guess I can, I, can, I can dribble. I can shoot. I mean, making it's another story, but I mean, I can, I can throw the ball, right? I can beat Nadia fair and square and horse. Nope. I mean... H-O-R-S-E to H, I mean, crusher, you know, so I can, I mean, I can play basketball. I can, I can wear the jersey. I can wear the tennis shoes. I can get out on the court. But let's say LeBron James walks out on the same basketball court. You know what I mean? So would you say that I was LeBron James's opponent? I mean, in some ways, I'm out there. I'm on the, I'm on the court. But do you think he's going to have to work very hard to beat me? Oh, that's being too kind. The truth is, absolutely not. He would not have to work very hard at all to beat me in one-on-one. Because... He is obviously a professional. He's, he's athletic. He practices. He works out. He probably doesn't eat donuts. I don't eat donuts either, but I like, a, like ice cream. He doesn't eat much blue bell and coffee. Yeah, whatever. And LeBron James is, just so you, if you don't know, he's a professional basketball player. He's six foot six. Foot six. Six, eight, six foot eight. I mean, he can shoot from all over the court. He can, you know, cross me up, dribble. So in a serious sense, if I was out playing LeBron James, it would it would be a joke. Right. Because it it would just be silly. And if the game was even close, it would be because he was just kind of having fun with me. But if we played one on one first to 20, I would probably lose 20 to zero. Maybe if I got a three-pointer in from like half court before he could block it, maybe I 20 to 3 if I got real lucky. So you couldn't really call me LeBron James's adversary. Well, yeah, but in basketball, six inches is a big deal. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I'm not really his adversary. 
I'm just, I could be against him. I could want to win so bad. I could have the will and the tenacity and the determination, but I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. So, in the, and I know it's kind of a silly example, but in, in a much bigger way, people are not really God's enemy. Now, they can have some tenacity to say, I hate what God does. I hate God. I hate his law. I hate his word. I hate his will. And I am going to do everything in my power to stop God's will. And they can even try to stop God's will in your life. They can be so against you living for God and it, the conviction can settle in on them. And, and if you've lived long enough, you will kind of experience people that maybe they not not actually like harmed you, but they kind of made fun of you, perhaps, for taking a stand for God because it convicted them in their own life. And so you can, you've if you've tried to live for God any length of time, you've come against this kind of thing. But the good news is, is that because you are on God's side, that in fact, when it comes to you living for God, other people really cannot be your enemy. Because everything that they do to frustrate God's will in your life really just pushes God's will further on. Because if you if you read that book of first Samuel, you'll see that Saul had a tenacity and he had a desire and he had a hatred for David. And he knew that the will of God in David's life was for David to replace him as the king. And he did not want that to happen. And so he did everything in his power to frustrate the will of God. He did everything in his power to change the outcome. But guess what? He couldn't do it. It did not work. And in fact, it actually pushed David. And pushed him for consistency and pressed him to the point that David, who was rather an inexperienced young man who had had some military victories, but had not really had the leadership abilities of being the king, it pushed him to grow in such a way that when he stepped foot his first day on the job, he was a seasoned veteran of leadership, of integrity, of self-control, of relying on God. And he was a king that God said was after my heart because I put him through the test. Because Saul thought that he was going to end David's life and end the will of God in David's life. But in fact, he could not. He only pushed it further. So that means every person that may not be so thrilled about you living for God, they can do nothing about it. And every opportunity and every chance that they get to push you in that direction is actually going to work for your benefit if you are yielded to God. If you want the will of God in your life, there's nobody that can stop you. Because just like God does not have enemies, if you are sided with God, then you don't have enemies either. Because greater is he that is in us, the Bible says, than he that is in the world. Nobody loses out with God because of another person or because of even the devil. 
who is your adversary and who is God's adversary. True, but they are no match for God. Just because you want someone defeated does not mean that you have the capability to defeat them. And that's what we come against when you look at good versus evil. Or God versus Satan. Is that, yeah, he is against everything that God does. But he's no match for God. And so if you as a young person are dedicated and focused on living for God, there is nothing that anybody can do that will make you not live for God. Because God is on your side and God is fighting for you. But see, there are people who lose out with God. There are people who allow their circumstances to get to them. So who is the enemy of you? Who was Saul's enemy? It wasn't God. And he wasn't God's enemy. Because God said, Saul, you can pitch that fit all you want, but I'm going to use you for my purposes. You're still my king. I, I, I still put you in there and I'm using you. Whether you like it or not, I'm using you. But because Saul was his own enemy. It destroyed him. So you have to this. This story teaches us that you have two options. You can either yield to the will of God for your life. And then you have the power, authority and anointing and the blessing of God on your life. Or you can resist the will of God and God will still use you. The Bible calls them vessels of dishonor, meaning they still serve a purpose in the house. It's just some vessels get brought to the table and some vessels get taken out back with the trash. But you're still useful to God. Saul was still useful. He was still a king that God had plans for. He was just a king that would not yield himself to God's will. And God said, OK, I'm going to find a king that will yield. And until he's ready, I'm going to use you to make him ready. And I'm going to use you as an instruction. And I'm going to use you to push the king that I have chosen to a closer relationship with me. And the process will break you, Saul. Because you would not yield to me. Because you will not yield to what I want to do in your life. Then I'm still going to get the glory. And my kingdom is still going to go to the man that I have chosen. Whether or not you say so or not. Because I appointed you as king. I anointed you as king. You don't have the say so. You don't have the authority. But you have the authority over your life. So you're not going to wreck my kingdom and you're not going to wreck my nation and you're not going to take my nation in a direction that I don't want it to go, but you can destroy your own life. And the obstinance of Saul is so evident at the end of his life. You know that Saul knew that he was going to die in battle the very next day. It was prophesied to him. He went to a witch. See, when he started being king, he had, he had outlawed witchcraft. But by the end of his Rain, he was so desperate to hear from God and he was so obstinate that God had pulled himself back from him. And he, so he went to a witch who he'd previously outlawed, one that had slipped through the cracks that had not been arrested. And, and she, he promised her that if you use your witchcraft, then I will not arrest you. And so she somehow through the power of darkness or whatever, I don't know, maybe God allowed her to. I don't know how it works, but. She brought up an image of Samuel the prophet who had already passed away. 
And Samuel's image told Saul, tomorrow you will go into battle and you and your sons will die. And my kingdom will be passed to the man that I have chosen. And you know what Saul did? Nothing. He marched right into battle anyway, straight to his own death. Because the obstinance could not be broken in his life. Because his heart was so dead set against God's will. That he, even in that moment, he could not find time to humble himself and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me that I disobeyed. Forgive me that I would not yield to a simple request. You know what Saul died over? Do you know what cost him the kingdom? It was a bunch of sheep. It was just a bunch of sheep. It was because he was unwilling to make a sacrifice that was in the eyes of his kingdom and his power was so small. See, it wasn't about the sheep. God said, destroy everything. And Saul kept back some of the sheep because that was money. It was monetary. It was valuable. To, and to us, sheep are you know, kind of weird. But to them, it was, it was how their, their, it was their money, right? Their shepherds and their flocks. It, and so they had, so he, it was just a few dollars. He was the king of Israel. He had all of the nation at his fingertips and a few hundred or thousand sheep. Yeah, it could have been valuable, but it wasn't worth the kingdom. But it was in his heart, that obstinance that said, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I think is best. And God said, this day have I rejected you from being king. This day have I sought a man that's after my heart. That's going to do what I say. That's going to yield to me. Because you look at the life of David, he made big mistakes. And I mean whoppers of mistakes. But you know what? When God came and there was a prophecy that came forth that said, you are in the wrong. What did David do? He humbled himself. He repented. He yielded to that force that God was pressing down on him. Whereas Saul just grew more stubborn and more obstinate. And thought, I'm going to frustrate God's will. God's not going to take the kingdom from me. I'm going to kill his man. I'm going to, I'm going to be so stubborn that God's not going to be able to accomplish his will. Saul thought wrong. Because all the while, while he was being so stubborn and so obstinate, he was pushing forth the plan of God. In David's life. You have two choices tonight. Because like I say often. For most everybody. I would say everybody in this room. It's too late. To just live in ignorance. It's too late to say. Well I just didn't know. Because God's dealing with each and every one of you. I think it's a miracle why every one of us are here together. I believe that. I don't believe in accidents. I believe that you're here on purpose. Because God is putting you in a place to find out are you going to yield or will you be broken? Are you going to yield to His Spirit? Or are you going to just stay so rigid that He'll still use you? He'll still get the glory. He, his, his will will still be accomplished in your life. And the only person that will be destroyed is you.
in the process. The only person that will be destroyed in the process is yourself. You're not going to be able to drag anybody else down with you. You're not going to be able to frustrate the will of God in anybody else's life. It does not matter. Really. You could try to hurt somebody. You could try to make fun of somebody. You could try to pull somebody down and keep them from living for God. But if they have a desire in their heart to live for God, you know what? They're going to do it no matter what. They're going to do it no matter what. And actually your trial of you pushing them and you uh, kind of mocking them and making fun of them could be the very thing that God is needing in their life to push them forward so that they get more serious about living for Him and so that they learn how to pray and they learn how to trust God. And the very thing that is so frustrating and the very thing that is getting on your nerves or that is pushing you could be the actual thing that God is using because God's will will not be frustrated in your life life God's will will be accomplished if God has spoken it to you if you stay faithful it will come to pass no matter what no matter what but those who are obstinate and those who say I will not yield and I will not surrender to what God is doing in my life you will do so at your own peril you will do so at your own destruction not because of judgment Not because of God's just coming down and just putting the hammer down on you in judgment, but that spirit of just defiance will not get you anywhere. Pushing against God. Pushing against Him. Because God does not have enemies. God does not have enemies. So, Brother Jared, you might say, where? What do I do? What do I do? Where do we live? How do we live? How do we live going forward? You've got to ask yourself. You've got to look into your heart. You've got to look into your life. And you've got to ask yourself, what is it that God's calling me to do? What is the next step? Because my argument is that everybody here, God is dealing with you about something. God is dealing with you about something. He's putting something in your life, something in your heart, and it it may be some pressure. And how you respond to that, how you respond to that conviction, how you respond to that peer pressure, how you respond to that temptation, I don't know, whatever it may be, however you respond could determine the posture of the rest of your life. Because a spirit of rebellion, the Bible relates that to the sin of witchcraft. Because it is so against what God has for you. And it will destroy and it will break down your life. So you have got to learn how to surrender to God. That is the ultimate posture of being a Christian is learning how to surrender to the will of God. And it is so valuable at an early age like you are at because you've got so many important choices that will set the tone for the rest of your life. You have so many decisions to make within the next few months and to think that you can figure it out on your own is an incredible sign of arrogance. And you've got to say, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to touch me. I need you to work in my life. And if you do that, 
You have nothing that can stand against you. The only thing that's going to get in your way from fulfilling the will of God for your life is yourself. It is yourself. Because God has no enemies. God's will cannot be frustrated. God's will cannot be stopped. If God has said it to you, He's going to accomplish it. If you stay faithful. If you stay faithful, God will accomplish it. I just want you to get that into your head that God will accomplish it. If they could come to the music because I'm closing quickly. I want you to close your eyes right now. Everybody in here. I want you to think about something right now that God is dealing with you about. And I think if everybody is honest, we all have those things that God is dealing with us about. That God is working on us. And I think that there's several of you here that know exactly what I'm talking about. That it is some sort of pressure point in your life where you know what God's asking of you. You know what God's asking you to do. God's asking you to give up. What God's asking you to say yes to in your life, in your heart. And it may not be exactly what you want to do. In fact, if God is asking something of you, the chances are it's really not what you want to do because God is outside of yourself which is really so powerful. I'm thankful God didn't leave me to myself. I'm glad He asked me to do things that I didn't want to do. I'm glad that He challenged me and pushed me in a direction that I didn't really want to go because I would not have chosen this road that I am on. But looking back, I wouldn't have made another choice. But I didn't know when I was sitting in your shoes how to get to where I am right now. It took God correcting me. It wasn't perfect, and you don't have to be perfect either, but when you come into that crossroad where you feel God pulling on your heart, you've got to make the right decision to surrender to Him. Some of you are struggling. You're coming up on not too quickly, or not too slowly, I mean, the, your point of graduation from high school. You're coming up on it fast. And you've got to decide, what am I going to do with my life? What am, and I know you've got plans, and I know you've got ambitions, and you've got dreams, but God might have something to say. And that point right there, whether you're going to yield to Him, or whether you're going to push back in obstinance, is going to determine. You're not going to frustrate God's plan. If God's called you to a mission field, or God's called you to a city, or God's called you to a youth group, you know, God will fill your spot. And those people that you've been called to reach, God will reach them with somebody else. But you in the process will be destroyed. Queen Esther said it. If I do not do this, Mordecai said it to her. If, if you do not do this, Esther, if you do not save your people, God will save them by some other means. But you yourself will be lost. 
It's not about the talent or the skill. It's about will you say yes right now in this moment. So I want you to think about that right now, that thing that God's dealing in your life right now about. Not tomorrow, not five years from now, right now, what's God dealing with you about? I want you to stand with me and we're just going to pray. I want you to lift your hands right now if you feel comfortable. And that thing that God has laid on your heart, I want you to begin to surrender it right now to Him. I want you to just begin to pray and say, God, that thing that I've been struggling with, that I've been dealing with, God, that I know that you have been asking me to give up or that you've been asking me to walk away from or you've been asking me to lay down, God, I do it right now. I make that commitment in my heart. I make that commitment in my life that I'm going to surrender to you, that I'm going to yield to you, that I'm going to make myself available so that you can use me, so that you can touch me, so that you can deliver, so that you can work through me, so that my life can have purpose and my life can have intention. God, I pray right now that you would work on these young people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would work in their life. Come on, don't, don't, just, don't just treat this lightly. I want somebody to really take it seriously. I want you to really think about it. What's God calling you to do? Who's God calling you to be? And if you say yes, that's going to determine your future. Come on, somebody needs to hear me tonight because you're sitting there, you're standing there, and you don't know, does God have a destiny for me? And the answer is yes. God has a destiny for you. God has plans for you. But you've got to surrender. You've got to yield yourself to Him. You have got to say yes. You've got to. Not for His sake, but for your sake. God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. God can refill somebody with the Holy Ghost. God can get you back on the right path, on the right track. Maybe you've drifted away and you've gotten away from where you need to be and what you need to be doing. God's calling you back tonight and saying, I've still got plans for you. And it's not too late. You can still surrender. You can still yield to me. You can still say yes to me. God has infinite mercy to those who come and say, God, I need forgiveness. God, I need you to touch me. God's right there and he's saying, yes, that's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on you to say yes. I've been waiting on you to come back. I've been waiting on you. But please don't live in that realm. Please don't live in that place where you're just so stubborn so against what God wants to do in your life. But search your heart tonight. If you'd like to, if you'd like to come forward, I want to challenge you. If, you. if you say, Brother Jared, I'm going to answer this call tonight. I'm going to answer this call to surrender my life to God. I would like you to come forward. And just as a sign to show God that, God, I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing. I, I want to do your will. Come on, if God's working on your heart, if God's tugging on you, make a step forward tonight. And all my dreams. Come on, God wants to work in your life. Lord, I place 
Christian life, it does take some disciplines. It takes, you have to do some things in order to be a Christian. You have to live a, a certain way in order to be a Christian. And if you really want to fulfill the will of God for your life, and I think a lot of you do, it's going to take some daily disciplines. Because what starts is humility. You realize, I'm not person that God needs me to be yet and because I'm not the person that I need to be I can't just watch YouTube all day long I've got to become something because God's called me see that that's humility that's how you always come to the kingdom of God is humility that's why repentance is the first step God forgive me God I'm sorry that's humility that's saying I don't have it all together and I need you to help me and then you do the, the discipline to pray, to read your Bible. Maybe fast. Ask God, Lord, touch me as I do these things for you. But do you know what comes after discipline? Confidence. Confidence. So many young people struggle with self-confidence. But you know what? When you have been in a place where God has touched you, you can walk out with an assurance that you know what God's on my side and I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to be able to walk into school and not worry what people think about me and I'm going to be able to be who God's called me to be and not be pushed around by every whim of peer pressure that's ever brushed across this school and everything and every fad I can be who God's called me to be confidence comes after discipline so it starts with humility and because you know, I, I don't have it all together. I need to spend some time with God. I need to open up my Bible and learn some stuff. I need to ask Him. I need to be faithful to church. I need to worship. I need to say, God, I need something out of this service. I'm not just here to see my friends, although that's good, but I'm here to get something from you because I don't have it all together and I need to hear a word from you. And you do some discipline of like paying attention and raising your hands or whatever, lift, lifting up your voice responding and then God touches and then you walk out of here with confidence God's working in my life I have a plan from God I don't know how it's going to come it's from God but he's talked to me and I can see the way forward 
I didn't know how I was going to make it through this year of school, but I see the way forward now. I didn't know how I was going to make it through this situation at home, but I see the way forward now because God has talked to me and I have confidence in Him, not in myself. It starts with humility. Works into discipline. But then there's confidence in that. So if tonight, if you realize that there's something in your life that you don't need to be there, you've repented of it and you've responded you've had the humility now tomorrow put the discipline into place don't let this be the last time you pray this week don't let this be the last time you think about the bible think about god or open up your word but open get some discipline in your life and watch the confidence flood your soul watch the confidence you can walk a little bit higher and say through school and say you know what I may not have to be the best-looking kid here, and I may not have to be the most athletic or the most well-dressed or the wealthiest because I've got a destiny from God because He's called me. And God doesn't care about athleticism or looks or clothing or money. He cares about obedience. And I've been obedient to God, and so He's given me a destiny. And so that's who I am. That's my identity. When all these young people are trying to find their identity, I'm a jock, I'm an emo, I'm a whatever, I'm a this, I'm a nerd, I'm a this. You say, I am a child of God. And it fills my heart with confidence. Not in me, but in Him. That's how you put it into practice tomorrow. Spend a little time with Him. Put a little faithfulness in your life. And watch, it's just going to grow. And compound on yourself, on itself. I'll pray for you and we'll be dismissed. God, I love you. Thankful for these precious young people that you have entrusted us with. I don't believe any of them are here by accident, God. And I don't believe, Lord, that your word is capable of returning void. And I believe, God, that the seed that has been planted tonight will grow into something in their life. And my prayer is, God, that you would use every one of them in accordance to your will as they yield to you, God. Lord, you're going to get the glory one way or the other. But as for us, God, as for me, I want to be useful in a way that blesses my life. I do not want to be a vessel of dishonor, God. And I do not want to see these young people making decisions, God, where they're going to break themselves. But God, I want to see them serving you, living a blessed life with full of purpose and intention and confidence and humility before you. God, I pray that you would go with us. You'd bring us back together when it's time. And that you would help us to answer your call. Not just tonight, but tomorrow and every day thereafter. Pray that you'd bless this group. In Jesus' name, I pray. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.